The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. We are joined once again by Ben Jurek, top three in the ITC among the latest and greatest in the hot new competitive players in Warhammer. He's going to LVO this coming week and he has a real shot at winning the entire thing and bringing down the ITC along with it if the stars align. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Nick. I have a busy week ahead of me and I, it's, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I so appreciate you taking the time out of this very busy week where I'm sure you're trying to prepare for LVO uh, to come onto this podcast. The guests are super eager to hear about this one and learn exactly how you're preparing for such a major tournament. Um, you'd be surprised how uh, how little prepared I am, but as how well prepared I am also. It's, it's kind of a weird mix um, between teams and singles. Yeah, well, that's actually what exactly we're trying to uncover in this episode. So we're going to talk about what your preparation has looked like. I know you're avidly uh, participating on Team America to try to qualify for the actual starting position on that team, then uh, what that looks like for you and how that impacts your singles performance uh, as an ITC competitor trying to potentially chase that number one spot. And uh, you know, playing a team army might not be what's best for your singles performance and how you kind of weigh those two factors and your actual playing of games and analyzing of lists and the meta and all that stuff. So we're going to unpack that in part one of this two-part conversation, folks. And then in part two, which you can catch on AOW40K.com, that is our Patreon. You can uh, subscribe. You'll get access to this part two along with the other 224 episodes of Art of War. You'll get access to all of that all the part twos, all the good stuff. In that episode, Ben and I are going to talk about the actual list he's taking, breaking it down on a more tactical and strategic level, how he's piloting it, who he's worried about, and how he's going to compensate. So Ben, without further ado, why don't you tell me about how you're preparing for LVO and what your lead up to that has looked like? So my lead up has been, for the most part, taking it easy. Um, I I have not didn't done the grinding that I would typically be doing. Um, that falls a little bit on me, a little bit on scheduling, uh, and a little bit on how my other 40k experiences this this, uh, this month. So um, my Eldar list, I don't have a ton of reps in, but I also do at the same time. I have uh, you know 100 plus Eldar reps, uh, many with the style of list, but not too many with the list I'm bringing. Um, and I plan on putting it on the table a few times this week. Uh, have a game after this this uh, this cast, um, but it's a it's not as much of a grind as you think it would be because the meta hasn't evolved too much outside like Necrons uh, emerging. So um, what I expect to go into when I expect to play uh, hasn't changed too much from like when I was playing in November. So you've been dominating pretty much the entire second half of the season once 10th edition is launched with Eldar, and that was a pretty sharp contrast to your performance with Majority Orcs last year. And you were doing really well. We actually brought you on the podcast shortly after WTC in 2023. Talk about your super awesome successes, your major tournament wins, and things of that nature. But since then, Ben, the meta has kind of caught up a little bit. Other armies have started to adapt to the Eldar Menace. The Eldar Menace has been getting nerfed here and there. And you know, it's not the brutality powerhouse that it was upon day one of 10th edition. And to reflect that, it's been harder and harder to get really high placings in first places with Eldar. How's that been for you? Um, I have had success like post slate, um, but it's definitely a much harder world. There's no more blowouts. There's no more. There's no more 15 minute games um, that are happening. There's a lot of games you really should win uh, on like a meta and matchup standpoint, 
But there are like some matchups that you just straight up lost if you didn't bring the tools. Um, and my list kind of reflects that. Like I got really tired of losing the 90 accursed cultists, so I compensated and I've, I've made up for that. Um, I mean, I had a I didn't approach WCW the way I should have, and I had a very bad performance there. Um, and I took it more like a vacation than an actual like weekend of something I should have prepped for. Of the you know the sharkiest shark tank that ever existed. So after that humbling experience, um, I went back to the drawing board and it's like okay we're gonna stick to stick to our guns no play what we know play good play good 40k and you know just tighten up my play and learn uh what's actually gonna beat me because i didn't take some of the like opponents as seriously as i should have i didn't take the csm match as seriously as i should have uh stuff like that so um i believe in my adjustments i've made uh for lvo i should be going fine but like there's also a new menace on the on the horizon which is necrons so there's a lot of factors to unpacking that Part of that is kind of your mentality going into WCW and the tournament surrounding that where maybe you didn't take it as seriously, you, you were invited to be there, that was good enough for you. Whatever your reasons may have been, it led to your performance being, um, by your own standards, perhaps a little lackluster. But um, nonetheless, you've come back stronger, you've come back better. What does that actually look like? How do you dissect the meta from one event to another? Um, the only new factor is Necrons, as you said, and they're relatively new and kind of hard to pin down at the moment. So how do you adjust your army and adjust your play? Now, with granted with respect that we're going to mostly be getting to a tactical and strategic level in part two of the conversation. But how do you even view the tournament and the meta and preparing in general? Well, you you have to really know, like, you have to build your meta knowledge. And most of my losses um, in 40K in general, no matter what I'm playing, doesn't matter what I'm actually piloting, uh, usually come from something where I didn't know how what something did didn't know the damage it did, didn't know the secret sauce, didn't know the synergies. Um, so the first thing I do when I walk up to a table, especially with an army that's relatively uninteractive like Eldar, uh, is I really want to know what their army does and know know all the really cheeky secrets, know all the things, know all the quote-unquote gotchas. Because um, if I'm going to lose, it's likely to that. Right, so you're trying basically to avoid any gotchas and and beyond the sportsmanship level of it just you know make sure you got a handle on the situation so you can control it since it's very much the eldari play style um just kind of knowing the threat ranges keeping your army at safe distances and not taking any unnecessary risks or unnecessary damage so just kind of be more more aware of the game and the things within it is is your big take yeah uh Gathering awareness of the game, putting some reps on the table, seeing what damage output looks like. Like, what happens if that five-man chosen brick actually connects? What happens if sisters, you know, uh, connects with that group of uh, that group of backos? Like, where 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 are my danger points? Where are my pinch points? Where are the things where I can, you know, disregard that as a threat, or where where are the threats you should take seriously? Because threat assessment, I think, especially with how shaved down Eldar lists are now, is probably one of the most important things you need. One of the most important skills you can have. Threat assessment, is that pretty much like the same as target priority in your mind? Like shoot this thing, then that thing, then this thing? How do you identify threat assessment and do something about it? Uh, threat assessment has a couple different like stages. Like, is this an immediate threat? Is this a threat in the, in the late game? Is this a threat that needs to get screened? It's, it's you know, how much are you going to respect that threat? Because there are some things like... You know, if they if it connects with my brick or wraith guard, cool, one CP backup shoot, and they're not going to do a lot of damage. There's, but there's also some threats where like I never want them to connect. So those are where you make like your really crucial game breaking plays. Like, am I going to make an aggressive phantasm or do I need to phantasm away? Stuff like that. 
Um, and sometimes it lines up with target priority, and other times it just lines up with a, oh, I need to, you know, that's the thing that's eating the slow, and then I need target priority priority or all these trash units that are scoring. Because um, not, you're not always just shooting what the threat is, you're also sometimes just denying their ability to score. Right, and it's kind of that two balance factor here. What is trying to kill you? What is threatening from a damage perspective? And what is scoring their points really well and effectively for them? And then how do you, as a player, determine should you attack their scoring elements and make it a scoring-based game where you're just running around outscoring them? Or you know, just make it a damage-based game where you try to kill them first and then the rest of it falls into place? Uh, that's more of a that's kind of a board state and reactive situation. Like going into it, you know, top of one. Um, I'm usually I'm relatively reserved unless I'm fed something that's just too juicy, um, and I want to see if they're going to push on me super hard. I'm going to turn it. I'm just going to dump all my damage into them. Um, but if they're going to play reserve two, that's when I need to know. That's when I need to start doing my scoring math. I'm just like, okay, when can I throw them on five on a primary? Can I set up this ingress? Do I need to set up this Overwatch? Do I let him get tens for three turns? Um, you know, what is this game going to look like? Is this going to be a ninety eighty game or is this going to be a blowout? Like, um, and you, the game starts developing. You start weighing out like what it's going to look like, and you start you, you start doing your assessment, your math, and you're like, okay. As long as this plans out like this, this will this game will finish, and I'm still going to win by six. Um, and then there, you know, there are other scenarios where, like, you're, if your push happens or you take a risk, uh, you can of course go higher. But it, I kind of base that reactive to how my opponent uh, is going to play their turns. So it's really hard to kind of make those calls in tenth edition and play that very calculated game. Eldar like to play that more than any other faction I find because they have the ability to really control movement and just dominate that scoring section of the table. However, in tenth edition, especially, we have things that are just random. You know, your tactical cards are are exactly that, and then battle shots can ruin your day. All kinds of things can just happen in Warhammer these days. So how do you plan to that level of degree? Um, let's say your opponent doesn't just throw his army at you and then you apply the damage and see what happens. How do you play that scoring protracted game? Now, first off, I'm going to get the nod to Eldar that they get to cheat through a lot of that and just uh, fate dice when they need to pass battle shocks um, and stuff like that. So they have uh, they have an unlimited pool of being able to uh, secure points, essentially. Um, How can I forget? Eldar just don't <laughs> care about rules. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give the little nod to the broken rule uh, index for a second. Um, but Outside that, um, the cards do add a, a level of unpredictability, but we're at the stage in the game, the amount of reps, especially among, among higher-level players, where you're, you're, you're weighing out the cards. You're doing the thing where you're walking off objectives, you know, knowing your opponent could draw Storm Hostile. Uh, you're, you know what cards are remaining in the deck. Like Deck tracking is, is, a, is a skill um, that you definitely should have in this edition. Um, and in the early portions of it, um, you know, there's always way more probability. But like down to turn four, turn five, especially after like a discard or two, you're like, okay, you have you know four or five cards left. Here's what my possibilities are. And those turn four, turn five plays you can make can really shift the game because you can just end up denying your opponent a sick amount of secondaries. So when you say deck counting and things like that, are you talking about being aware of the cards in your deck or that still remain, or your opponent's deck that still remain, or both? Both. How do you impact both of those? Because they're so variable. You know, even on turn four, there's still potentially eight cards left in your deck, eight cards left in your opponent's deck. It's so hard to make any sort of accurate assessment there. Um, there's, there's a you, you kind of always weigh out the ones of the that you know you can affect, and then you also go with the ones that you, you're okay with scoring. Your opponent scoring, like okay, my opponent. I'm in a scenario where if my opponent draws cleanse next turn, he would need to do X, Y, Z. 
and then he likely can secure a two, and with risk can secure a five. But there's also ones that are just like easy to deny, like denying three corners of investigate is really easy for Eldar. So like if your investigate is still in your opponent's deck, you're still denying investigate. Um, especially if they had the ability to score it as well. Um, if they're a slow army that can't quite get there, you're like cool, I don't need to care about investigate. I know they can't score it, and you just don't you don't disre- you don't regard them drawing it at all. So you also have to conclude those things. I'm just like, what's actually scorable my, by my opponent, and can I deny it? So this kind of goes into your philosophy and approach for getting ready for LVO, which is really just be very, very good at Warhammer. And I think that goes a little bit unsaid, and it might sound a little silly to say that the person trying to win LVO needs to be very good at Warhammer. But you're focusing more on your fundamentals, it sounds like, you know, deck counting or general unit positioning and, and flows of the game, as opposed to um, list micromanagement um, and things of that nature, which I find really fascinating because it kind of ties into how you've been preparing for your overall year with WTC in respect to that. So there's a lot of different factors here. Ben, you're on Team America trying to compete there, and then you're also this this fantastic singles player who's trying to win the ITC. Chasing both of those at the same time can have a lot of conflict. Uh, are you playing Eldar for your WTC team right now? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why would you be? So how is that like on, on a front surface level, uh, playing one army for the teams and one army totally different for singles? Um, it's a little bit different, but I also, coming from a magic background, I've always believed you need to play the other decks to know them well. Um, so in this scenario, I get to play the other decks. In this particular request, um, our captains have, our captain and co-captains have asked that we really buckle down and focus on, you know, two to three factions this year. Um, so I've, you know, I've been faction selected on Orcs and Guard. Uh, so that's where all my reps related to teams have gone 100% whatsoever. So any any game you see me playing for Team America, I'm playing one of those two armies. Uh, so that's what I've been grinding. Um, it's still 40k. You still have your fundamentals down. Um, reflecting back on the Eldar list, it's I know that list can win a major that's not that's not an issue i'm not going to worry i'm not going to sweat it um the only i just made like a, a one big change so i don't insta lose to like 90 cultists um but outside that uh i haven't touched the list the list is very cookie cutter eldar there's nothing special i need to change no micromanaging need, need to be done if you're just a better player you're likely going to win most of your games right and you mean you don't necessarily translate being a better player at that list in terms of you I have to know where to put the ink on or when to go in with that or where to put your units, when to phantasm, when to fire and fade. You have a lot of Eldar reps, so you're kind of drawing on that muscle memory from a few months ago. And if you have really sharp, just general 40k strategy skills, that kind of stuff, then you should be able to apply moving more in Eldar rules to a 40k skilled mindset. Is that the idea? That's kind of the idea. Um, it is com- It is conflict, like in a perfect world. Where I have, you know, I don't have a full time job. I would be putting more Eldar reps in. Let's let's not get beyond ourselves kidding here. Um, I would be putting way more Eldar reps in with the intention of winning LVO and the ITC. But that's just not the world I live in. Um, but I am more prepared for this LVO. I am a better player than I've ever been. Uh, and anything short of top cutter winning LVO is a loss. And that is some some confidence in your own powers over there. I'm here for you, Ben. Good luck to that. Um, I used to be, I, I was, for most of the year, I took the humble, yeah, it'd be cool if I won approach. Um, and I've had more than a few people tell me to cut that shit out. 
Um, so here we are. Uh, we we're here to win it. Um, anything short of winning, like you know, is is not what what we're here to do. So. Well, I love the go get them attitude. If you don't believe in yourself, literally no one else will. So that is awesome, and I'm here for it. So. With teams, there's this conflict not only about the factions, and I can go, I can talk about that for days. But there's also the element of scoring. Before we get into that, though, I'm still stuck on factions, Ben. You're playing Garden Orcs. I couldn't think of two more polar opposite factions right off the get go. One is shooting you with tanks, and the other is running at you and punching you in the face. And you know, those two are opposite enough. And then both of them play super different from Eldar in their own respects. So how are you juggling this triangle of factions here? I don't find playstyle migration to be that difficult. Um, There's sometimes you catch yourself playing like the other style. But I also believe that opens up opportunities in other play lines you wouldn't see. Um, for example, with my guard list, um, I am you know moving up and wrapping and trapping rhinos uh, full of uh, chaos stuff with my Kasserkin. Um uh, you know that's that's not a that that's a, not the general play style of guard. <laughs> so there's you know I'm moving my artillery pieces to you know get line of sight and do you know and gain uh, better tactical objective positions and stuff like that. Not a lot of guard players move you know their their artillery around too much. So there's there's lines of play that you pick up and see that are just like more general Warhammer sense that. You know, you may not apply to X, Y, Z army. Now, being a guard player doesn't exactly make me a better orc player. Let me uh, let me be fair with that. Some skill just doesn't translate. Um, but I don't find the playstyle shift that different um, when the main objectives of Warhammer never really change that much. Well, that's definitely true, and I, I can see your point to like you can wrap a rhino with the orcs, you can wrap a rhino with guardsmen. Same idea, you know, tactics are tactics. Warhammer is Warhammer. There's definitely like a I called it kind of an intuition that I, I found with Warhammer, where it's like um, myself, I, I prescribe myself as a defensive, reactive type of person. And when I'm playing an army that I know naturally plays very aggressively, say Chaos Space Marines as an example, um, I find myself uncertain and unsure-footed when I am playing that faction, no matter how many reps I have, uh, no matter if I've been there before or not. Um, it's just kind of a natural divide. And this may be unique to me specifically, uh, do you experience anything like that, Ben, or do you just know what you're doing with it? Every time I have played a game of Eldar, I've always had the I've always had to kind of remind myself that I'm playing Eldar, um, that this is not a resource trading army. That you know, there's there's these there's those little checks because you have your autopilot, you have your muscle memory, um, and you have to. I kind of like talk to myself a little bit, like in in my own head, not out loud that too often, um, where I'm just like, okay. What is the correct elf play here? Because <laughs> there's there's obvious there's there's other plays I would make um, if these were entirely different units. But you know you you do have to shake a little bit of muscle memory. But like you're only making a mistake if you commit to a bad decision. Um, and you you're running through all your lines of play. You're looking like okay, what if I did this? What if I do this? What's this this line option? What's this look like? And you know, overall, I enjoy being a more aggressive board control player. If I'm fed a board, I can be aggressive with Eldar. I absolutely will. Um, it doesn't mean I can't be the passive, gonna stand there and not interact with you and score a bunch of points style of army. Right. There's definitely knowing when to do each style, and I love that you said like playing Eldar is super different to playing works, and you have to go through that kind of mental checklist uh, to remember that you're playing a different style of army, and they can't. Just resource trade like that. They have to take, not trade, as we like to say. So with that in mind, um, 
Are you concerned at all about even having to make that mental checklist every single game? Part of LVO's difficulty is that it is a marathon, especially if you have to go through the shadow round, you're playing till midnight, then you're playing three games in top eight. It can be a 10 round tournament across four days. It is literally lots of Warhammer and that gets increasingly difficult. If you have to make those mental strains on yourself, turn after turn after turn, game after game after game, it can be very, very difficult, um, especially if you're not putting in a massive amount of reps to autopilot as much as you can before the event. Yeah, I I definitely see the line where there where you're more open to mistakes when it comes to being uh, drowsy, when it comes to not thinking correctly. Like we we you know we've all seen people make incredible tiny mistakes, and I make plenty of them. Like don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not a perfect player. Um, and those tiny mistakes are those games where I, you know, lose by seven, lose by five, lose by six, because like you get, a, you know, a ten point flip out of, you know, something so minute, especially at the top tables. Um, I specifically believe that my endurance game is better than ninety nine percent of the players out there, and that's part of what will help me win Elvia. I mean, that's if it's your strength, even better, you know. Like, Yo, this is my, this is my this is I'm the home I have home field advantage. This is my house. That's true. You live in Vegas. I completely forgot about that. So like they're they're doing the Vegas vacation thing. They're you know I, that, I always zone. Yeah, I go I'm, to Vegas. I party it up. My throat's super sore. I'm not used to that desert. Yeah, no, I'm going it. home, sleeping in my own bed. You know, petting my own cats, kissing my own wife. You know, I I have all the comfort in the world. I have a you know health and health and fitness coach on Team USA that has gotten us all you know jazzed up on the yoga exercises we need to be doing and the food we should be eating and the supplements we should be taking to be playing tabletop. Like I'm I'm prepared and I'm probably going to be more prepared than most people. Uh, and that obviously, the more prepared you are, the more likely you are to win. It's interesting that you consider yourself highly prepared without having played your faction much leading up to the event. Most people would be grinding their faction day in, day out, trying to get those reps in if they're trying to compete at your level. But you're just on your almost like general self-improvement with the health and all that. Um, you're, you're in your element and your comfortability in Vegas, and you've been just playing really tight, good competitive 40K with a variety of factions that can actually broaden your horizons here. So by that respect, you are really, really in shape with this. Do you, obviously, you're going to vote for yourself if I tell you who do you think is going to win LVO. But who are you kind of concerned about aside from yourself? Um, my dream is a Sean Naden Ben Jurek final. Um, so, and Sean is a better player than me, no matter what condition I'm in, no matter how many reps I have. That guy does not practice at all. Well, to my, he doesn't practice nearly as much as other people. But uh, he, you know, he's an amazing player. So, I want that finish. Um, that's the that's the that's the piece de resistance I'm looking for, and of course I'd love to beat him there. Um, yeah. Outside that, uh, there's still a lot of talent going to LVO that you know I you know, definitely never want to discount. Um, you know I want to give a big shout out to all the West Coast XPZ guys. Those guys have gone from you know like local California fun team to like all those guys are becoming killers and they're becoming you know harder and harder to beat uh and you know they've definitely taken games off me um most you know a lot of my losses this year have come to members of xpc so i want to give those guys a shout out um and yeah out uh you know brad chester is going to be there a lot of the a lot of the euros aren't going to be there like nasim and uh, manny are going to be there but uh that just gives me the opportunity to win the itc so i'm gonna you know give them a little thank you uh for giving me a shot yeah, you show up and you play the games right in front of you. That's all you can do. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, the games you are playing at LVO are singles games, and that's a win-loss format. 
whether you win or lose is really the only thing that is checked to see whether or not you progress to the next round. And in some cases, draws will also eliminate you. So you really have to win a game by at least a point. And then on the flip side, most of your practice has been teams format. And in teams, the margin of victory is it matters more than whether or not you've won or lost. Losing games can be fine if you keep it tight. And that can create a mindset of, you know, how do I generally play a strategy that will keep it tight safely, consistently, as opposed to win a game by one? It is a different mindset there. And similarly, like dealing with blowouts, some people in teams may be trying to blow you out or your job is to go get a 20, which might not be the safest line to secure a nice solid win by one or two or three kind of thing. And then, of course, there's the element of a really high level competitive Warhammer. If you're both trying to barely win the game by just a couple points, you know, any random dice roll could tilt it one way or the other. How do you deal with such a divergent scoring approach here? So that's a that's a that's a lot to break down, to be honest. But um, I'll make it as uh, I'll make it as quick as I can on that. the The goal of teams, um, especially, you know, comes down to your pairing your matrix and like if you you know you put down you know a drawish situation um i'm perfectly fine playing drawish out for the most part uh but you know you obviously have to take some risks uh and risks that like let's say you know you you had some dice didn't go your way or you made a small mistake or here or there and you you know you're down by 15 um sometimes you want to lock in that you know that 7 you know you're you're like okay cool we're not going to make any further we're not going to make any risks uh and we're just going to lock in the 7 in singles, you have to make the play and get your points back. Um, so you know that those are scenarios where you're definitely going to look for more risk. But there are other scenarios, like you know, in Eldar's favorite matchups, where like you're expected to go out and get a 14. I'm perfectly fine getting it. I don't need to make plays. I can just do this. Um, and they, you know, you're in a situation where you take less risk. Uh, so there's, I think the. I think the biggest translation between teams and singles comes down to where am I willing to take risks and where am I not? And what's the safe play? What's, you know, what are the dangerous plays? And like, what are the plays that go over the top? Um, if I'm put into an unfavored match, I'm definitely going to, you know, try and edge out scenarios where, you know, I'm going to take a high risk. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm projected to lose and I need to flip that. Like if I'm, you know, in a projected eight on my matrix, I need to flip, you know, 15 points worth of a, of, you know, of, of gameplay to, you know, flip the differential to a win in singles. Uh, so you start looking at the board of like, okay, where can I find the 15 points? How am I going to get there? What's my path to victory? And it doesn't matter if you win by one. So like you, you throw all that out the window where, you know, if I switch back to teams mode, I had to go back to being really analytical about my point scoring and go, okay. Um, I always, you know, want to be set up to score these secondaries or, put my point opponent in a denied situation where if I don't score that secondary, it doesn't matter. Um, or, you know, make as much differential as you can where you score, they don't, but you know, that's not the perfect world. And there's a little bit less pressure on some, of the, on some of the singles games. Cause like it's win or win or not, you don't have the pressure of having to overperform or have the pressure of, uh, of anything else. You can just take the risk and go for it. This translates a little bit further than necessarily decision points within the game. It can it could be pregame as well. Um, I'll just give you an example here. If you're playing against an army with a lot of characters and say a sisters list as an example, and you could take assassinate and deploy homers. You know, deploy homers is a free fixed secondary for just about anybody, and then assassinate is up to what's one of depending on how many sisters characters you kill. The onus is on you to go kill those characters. And in teams, if your job is to go murder the sister's army, then go kill all the characters, get a big assassinate score. 
In singles, though, it opens up the potential for your opponent to play very conservatively, deny you a ton of assassinates and eco in on you that way while not playing with your characters. Alternatively, you could go tactical and you know, and you, at, this, at that point you're playing with the deck and whatever that draws are. How do you make those kinds of calls with your opponent being able to change their lines of play to potentially make your life harder as well? Um, I look at those lines of play and specifically the fixed and the tactical decision. And <clears throat> I kind of, you had to like play out a mini game in your head of just like, okay, what happens if they don't play with their characters? What happens if uh, if all those go sit in a emulator or a rhino over there? Um, what am I looking at? Does that make my game easier? Uh, and will I am I just gonna you know am I just gonna roll over them for making that decision anyway? You know you have to you know play that little mini game in your head real quick and go what if? Um, and sometimes the what ifs are like okay I'm still gonna score twelve in it anyway um, because I may you know I'm gonna night spinner that incarn that fight over there like. You know, you have to ask a question. Does it matter? Um, with and often with Eldar, it doesn't. Uh, Broken Army, but um, you still want to weigh it out. on like, okay, just like I said before, I only need to win by one. While my opponent also only needs to win by one. And if I'm getting in the characters, you know, at top of four, and I only kill two of them, I'm suddenly, you know, I'm missing twelve of my secondary points. And where can I make that up if that did happen? Where um, with tactical. Um, Eldar, once again, score pretty reliably. Uh, and sometimes you'd rather play the deck and go, you know, am I going to miss 12 points in the tactical deck becomes the key question. Right. It's a pretty complicated question to answer. And I imagine a lot of that falls onto personal preference and experience to a degree. Like, which way do you want to approach the game? And you yourself said you, you prefer to play a more aggressive uh, style there. So would that lead you to take something more kill-oriented more often than not? Yeah, I I like kill oriented secondaries if given to me. Um, the you know Eldar are, are relatively have a small amount of resources, so like anytime my stuff is locked up doing some sort of secondary um, that isn't like you know that my swooping hawks can't do, or you know if they would trade for making that trade for doing that, um, that's when you really have to think about it because like you know am I my swooping hawks coming in doing an action or, or doing a mission? Um, Cool, they scored points. Well, did they die afterward, or do I could use them again? Um, so, you know, sometimes I have opportunities to just, you know, take homers behind enemy lines and just fire and fade into people's fields and just shoot missiles of scoring. And that's like, that's the my, that's my like bottom line guaranteed scoring of like, okay, I can just do this over and over again. Um, it's very hard to prevent, and I can, you know, here's my scoring floor. Or do I take tactical, and how many points do I miss on tactical? Or you know, you still have those options because, like, I'm not using my hawks to kill anybody. Um, so there, I also have to go through that decision process. So when you're playing Eldar, it's obviously different to Orcs and Guard, where um, if you draw a card, it's pretty much always worth it for you to sacrifice some idiot unit or some Gretchen or a truck or whatever to go do that action and commit suicide to score those points. With Eldar, you have fewer resources; they're all more valuable, and uh, there's a lot of potential with each resource removed um, and opportunity costs. So if you take your warp spiders as an example and go sack them for behind enemy lines or your swooping hawks or something like that, you know, do you get to use that unit again? Probably not. And then how many times can you afford to do that before you're just out of units or your opponent has too much stuff over you as an advantage? And I suppose it's something you have to weigh as an Eldar player over and over again. What's your thought process there? Uh, it comes down to like how I see the game plan going. Like if I see a sweeping engagement on an army that doesn't have a lot of board coverage. 
the behind me lines homers play is perfectly fine. You know, you 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 have lots of spots you can land fire and fade onto whichever to score those to you know enable those points. But like if I get put on uh, you know corners. I'm going to probably change my mind and go to something more tactical based. Uh, um, so the, the mission does come in mind and the mission, the main primary comes in mind there. There's honestly a lot to weigh, but I have a preference for most of it at this point um, after, you know, hundred plus reps uh, of where I want to go. And I still question myself if it's the right play. Sometimes like there are times I've taken fix where I'm like, oh, I probably should have taken tactical. And there's times I've taken tactical where I'm like, ah, fix was definitely the play here, but you know, hindsight's 2020. Let's talk about the last elephant in the room. All of your team practices on WTC terrain. For those of you unfamiliar, it's tons of ruins, um, lots of car contiguous, super dense boards. It's so hard to see anything, and moving is a pain. And uh, LVO is player placed. You know, there's a lot of fewer pieces, uh, very specific spots they can go in, have to be five inches away from other ruins. Totally different skill set there in terms of terrain. What's your approach for navigating each of those? Um, give my opponent as little as possible and give me the like one or two landing zones I actually need. Um, cause <clears throat> at the end of the day, Wraith Guard just need to phantasm through a wall and they, and I get to pick where in my deployment zone they get to do that. Um, and everything else, as long as my opponent doesn't have the ability to hold more than two, you know, two no man's lands objectives uncontested without me, you know, being able to interact with it. I'm probably going to be fine. Um, if there's a situation where that occurs, I need to figure out a way around it. Because like you can, you know, it, with correct placement on with some of these boards, my opponent can jam, you know, six rates on one, six rates on another with Necrons, have good terrain on those two objectives, and I'm not going to shake them. And they might, you know, be scoring uh, 15s, and I can't allow that. So that's when my game plan needs to shift. I need to figure out, okay, I'm not just going to have a shooting gallery and, you know, be able to score all game. I actually need to interact with you. Um, so there's there's definitely <clears throat> the the first drop and who gets dropped two, who, who drops one is, is pretty important. The set you're getting is important. Um, but you don't really know any of that till you get to the table. And I've had plenty of player place, you know, games throughout the throughout the year, um, and I will, you know, have a few reps with it before LVO. But um, at the end of the day, um, I'm comfortable with Eldar and player placed. There's just a little bit of a little bit of awkwardness for people that don't have experience with it, and I, I'm I'm looking really forward to having uh, some some big shooting lanes for my Wraith Guard pretty soon here. Yeah, I'm sure. Eldar on player place terrain sounds absolutely brutal to me. Ben, I think you're in pretty good shape to take down this tournament, or at least put a big shot um, in for yourself. You know, I don't know that anyone is like likely to win LVO, but you're more likely than most. And I think that's as good as we can realistically hope here. I wish you the best of luck, and I'm super eager to continue this conversation in part two, where we're going to actually break down your army list and how you plan to use it in a variety of different matchups and like, specifically against certain players. Um, Hopefully, you can join us in part two, listeners. We'd love to have you on AOW40K.com. That's our Patreon. It's five bucks a month to join. You also get access to this part two, all the other part twos, and our Discord. You can catch Ben and I's conversation about his Eldar over there. Ben, thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome, Nick. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will catch you later. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.